Well, hello there. It's another day. I'm Jim Harrington. And I am Bill Knight. Well, it's over. Trump wins again. Haley squeaks in there. Well, actually, you know, it's a respectable second because uh, she got the pretty much the independent vote. And, and uh, the Democrat. And the Democrat, too. And the uh, Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, is- Joe wins, but it was a write-in thing. And I'm trying to find the, the story here because what he won with was... Um, what they called unprocessed write-ins. Now, what does that yeah, mean? Well, what they, you know, what they say is that it seems that Joe has the most success when he doesn't campaign. I'll tell you why. He ran a couple of times, several times in New Hampshire and did not win. Mm-hmm. This time around, he didn't campaign in New Hampshire. He didn't run, and he won. And, and so that would say that maybe Joe's uh, formula for success would be that you just don't uh, campaign in the state that you're running in. You okay, know. but they say he won with unprocessed uh, ballots, 29,000. I don't know how, well, if they're unprocessed, how do you know they're his ballots? Well, that's right, because down below they have him checked as the winner, and here it says he had got 3,314 ballots. So these unprocessed, were they real ballots? Who knows? Where did they come from? They were, were they, were probably they brought in, in, in the back of a... Yeah, shipped in from Long Island. That that yeah. company in Long Island that was shipping ballots around last time around, they're back in business. Listen to this. Some 51% of voters in New Hampshire, uh, Republican presidential primary, uh, consider themselves to be Republicans. So 51%, right? Down yeah. from 55%. Uh, apparently... Uh, um, in, in an exit poll, half of New Hampshire's GOP primary voters uh, were not Republican in in the exit, meaning that they were crossover. In New Hampshire, for example, folks, if you don't know. Independence, yeah. Yeah, you can go right to the polling place and say, I want to change my affiliation from independent or Democrat uh, to Republican. Then you can literally walk into the booth and you can vote for whomever you want to vote for. Then you leave the the and you leave the uh, booth, and you can say, "I want to uh, change my affiliation again, back to Democrat or Independent," and you can do that. And they did that uh, apparently, uh, big time. And apparently, uh, here's, here's what it says: forty three percent of uh, voters in the Republican contest, which was also open to voters who are not registered with any party said they usually consider themselves as independents largely unchanged from 42% in 2016. 6% of voters usually think of themselves as Democrats compared to 3% in the party's 2016 primary. These are the exit poll uh, people who you know responded. Uh, 34% consider themselves moderate or liberal compared to 29% in the party's 2016 primary. 48% of the voters had a college degree compared to 53% in the party's 2016 primary. And it goes on, 54% of voters said they uh, uh, said that former President Donald Trump, uh, if he were convicted of a crime, he would still be fit for the presidency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 42% said he would not be fit. 54%. This has got to be scaring the living daylights out of the, uh, the, the left because— yeah. It's, it's and like that a, number's a lot higher everywhere else but New well, Hampshire because of how their their makeup is. And New Hampshire is, I mean, it's like a bedroom community to Massachusetts nowadays. It wasn't mm-hmm. always that way. Uh, I went to school there for a year, and um, I kind of have a little feeling for New Hampshire. Back in the feelings. '60s, <laughs> thank you. Back in the uh, in the, <laughs> I love how he breaks into music like that, uh, but. Uh, Back in the 60s, it was a Republican uh, state, period. But as roads got better and cars got better, uh, it's only like uh, 45 minutes, 35, 45 minutes from Boston to the uh, New Hampshire line. And then, you know, you can be right into the state. You can have a house in in place like Nashua or Portsmouth, and you're really not too far away. You, You could commute to work from New Hampshire, and they do. So it's become a suburb. A lot of liberals have moved up there, but um, so what? What they're what they're seeing with these results is in a kind of liberalish kind of state. Trump nailed uh, Nikki Haley. People say, well, "What do you mean nailed?" Well, 
she came out when it was 7%, and it was already checked off as being going for Trump. And she came out and she said, uh, we're not giving up. We're continuing on. It's, uh, she acted like she won New Hampshire. And, and Trump said in his speech, uh, I don't know whether she knows it or not, but, you know, we waited to come out uh, for a while. She came out at 7% to say that they're going to continue on to South Carolina. We waited till it was 14% of a victory. Actually, I think the final was like 125 or 13%, but that's a lot. Overall victory. That's that's mm-hmm. independents and Democrats across over. That's everything in one little pot there. And uh, Trump, he won big time in New Hampshire. But they're already trying to diminish those numbers and say this and that. But when you look at Iowa and you look at New Hampshire, and they are two different birds, different feathers. But the point is, he sound you know he soundly won both of them. You know, and, you know, for all and and the numbers are indicating for South Carolina where she's already got four million dollars in advertising dollars committed. And when you look at what she spent compared to like in Iowa. Yeah. She spent something like 13 million. Trump was he was in last place in spending. You know, DeSantis was there. You know, the the money that Trump and DeSantis spent together did not compare to what she spent alone. Where did she get all this money, and what's coming on? You know what's going on with her. But now I see that there there's signs that the uh, the erosion's there for Nikki because she is just there as a spoiler. Bill, you asked a good she question. She's something or not. You asked a, a good question. You said where did she get the money? I don't. I forgot the guy's name, and I haven't got it in front of me. But I can tell you that one of her backers uh, is the same guy who is backing E. Jean Carroll in her case, you know, paying well, for the that's, lawyers. That's funny because mm-hmm. they're saying, oh, well, in Trump's victory speech, he goes, you know, uh, I don't do this. I get even. And they said, ah, there's evidence yeah. against him in the E. Jean Carroll. I'm going like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, I'm sorry. Somebody throws something at me. I get even too. Hey, you know, I, I, I don't sit there and take it. There's this, there's this quote lawyer. He I think his name is Ty Cobb, like the baseball player. Right. I'm, I'm right. not. I'm not sure whether he is uh, related uh, to the original great baseball player. I don't think he is. Right. If he is, I feel bad for the original baseball player. He's got his handlebar mustache. He comes out. Apparently, at one time he worked in the White House in the Trump administration. He can't stand Trump. He hates Trump. And and he so so of course, uh, CNN has him many times on to uh, discuss Trump, and also BBC, another leftist kind of an operation out of England. Um, they they have him on as as an expert, and he says in the course of a conversation last night with the anchor, well, you know this is what you, it's surprising because uh, you, you know you, you got a, 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 a how did he put it you got a rapist and a guy who's indicted. Uh, close to the presidency, and he worked for Trump. This guy, the hatred towards Trump is palpable, right? I, I, I it, you can, you can feel it, you can taste it. Let me tell you, the it was his statement was so blatant that the anchor, the, the liberal anchor, said, "Wait a second, we really can't say that because he's never been, this man has been he hasn't been convicted of any of these things." Uh, she had to straighten out this, quote, lawyer. Do you know what I'm saying? But this is an example of what Trump is going to be up against between now and election time. They're going to try to uh, bury him by innuendo and allegation. They're not going to say that he, you know, he really did these things. They're just going to dump it on him like he's a rapist, dump it on him like he's been indicted for cause. And and found guilty, and he hasn't been, folks. You know, um, I, but I we Bill yesterday we talked about the Supreme Court, uh, mm-hmm. and I I don't have a lot of faith in them, uh, I to do the right thing. They didn't do the right thing with Texas, and, no. and, and I don't think that they they can be counted. They going back to twenty twenty when twenty eight states petitioned the Supreme Court to uh, hear their case about the elections. The Supreme Court 
said you have no standing to the 28 states. Now, if anybody has standing in the election, it's 28 of the states that, that had the elections, right? I mean, right. who has more standing than, than 28 states? And, and the Supreme Court, they just didn't want didn't to touch it because they knew it was going to be a hot potato, and they didn't want to hold that hot potato. Uh, now, you, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you may have noticed, you know, because everybody has been talking about uh, the, the cognitive ability of uh, Joe Biden. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, but the, even Nikki was throwing Trump under the bus. Go, well, you know, he's fit to be president. But, you know, he's he's stuttering and mumbling his speech yeah. here and there. And they're talking about that in Trump's speeches. And they keep I, I saw article after article after article after article. And I said, well, you know, we, we do support this guy. So maybe I ought to look at and see what they're what they're talking about. And they had a piece of audio. Well, he didn't stumble through it. Maybe his presentation of it, it was uh, maybe lacked a little bit of uh, clarity. But the point is, he was talking about, and they're saying, oh, he's rambling on about something that's not proven. And he's talking about the whales and the, the fact that the, and he calls them windmills, they're wind turbines, but windmills, yeah. wind turbines, we I, get it. I might call them windmills too, you know? But he's, he's talking about the, uh, the whales that are washing up on the shore, and they say, and, and their thing is, he's pulling stuff out of his mind, he's crazy, you know, it's not happening, yeah. there's no proof. Well, I decided to take a look at that because I was looking at the New York Times article on it, and which was funny, because number one, 83... Humpback whales oh, yeah. have hit the have hit the beach in Massachusetts where they have the big wind turbines. Of course. Out there. And and Trump is saying it's it's because of the, the wind turbines. Well, actually he is right, even though the New York Times and everyone else goes, ah, there's no there's no proof. Uh dateline December fifth, nineteen eighty-four. From the archives, uh uh, a team of scientists has found that whales seem to have a sensitive magnetic sense that may lead them to their death on the beach if they encounter magnetic anomalies near the shore, i.e. a wind turbine, because <laughs> it's got an engine in it that's wrapped with wire that generates a magnetic field which gives you electricity. Of course. That would be a wind turbine. Oh, and that creates a vibration because also... Whales have sonar. Yes. And that gets amplified down into the ground through the waves. Yes. That ripple out to the well and leads them ashore, and he's beached. Trump is right. You're a lion bee. Well, listen to this, New York though. Times they and also, every, they, they also every tr- other media outlet. They tried to say that uh, one of the, I think it was CNN, they tried to say, oh, no, no, it was NBC. They tried to say that he's confused. For example, he said in one of his speeches, that Nikki Haley was in charge of security on January 6th of the Capitol. Can you imagine how silly that was, how stupid that was? It wasn't Nikki Haley. It was Nancy Pelosi. Yeah. Well, what did he do? Trump got NBC, maybe for the first time, to admit that the person in charge of security at the Capitol during the, quote, insurrection, end quote, was Nancy Pelosi. Maybe, yeah. but the, for the he, you got to wonder whether Trump did that intentionally, you know. Well, because, sure he did, but you know they're going to cover everything up, and I'm beginning to believe that our, our little witch mm-hmm. from the Midwest, uh, what's her name, Liz Cheney, yeah, knew about this and was in on it too because. Stefanik, you know, went after her, and Liz goes, "Well, you should have seen your reaction when January sixth happened." Really, uh, Liz, are you trying to tell us that maybe you had inside knowledge on this? Because, you know, there are over a hundred documents that you guys and you were the head of this committee, you know, got destroyed. You were a chief Republican well, on that committee. There's a flag on that play. Did you hear about the hundred documents they recovered? Oh, Yesterday, no. they recovered a hundred documents that that was supposedly destroyed right after the January sixth committee was done. I, I haven't seen them, but uh, I, I think it has certain people nervous. <laughs> so we'll see where that goes. But that was in yesterday's uh, news. Yeah. Oh, it, by the way, just back up to the well story, yeah. just so you know it's credible. It was Doctor Joseph uh, Kirsch uh, uh, Kirschfink. Uh, he was a professor of uh, 
geobiology at the California Institute of Technology, the study records of whales and dolphins standings along uh, the uh, the Atlantic coast from Florida to New England. Oh, they've been beaching so, on New Jersey for uh, years now. Yeah, all along. So, you know, this came from a liberal institute out west. Yeah. And, but, you know, oh, we can't talk about anything history that might be pro Trump because, you know, so he's not doing, he's not babbling. It's not rhetoric. It is true. You know, if uh, anybody on the Trump campaign is there, maybe, you know, listening uh, yeah. wherever. Just tell them to say wind turbines well, Phil, because we're gonna the have stupid this, liberals are stupid. We're going to have this thrown at us for the next 10 months. They're going to they're gonna throw everything but the kitchen sink. Um, I don't know whether you heard about this or not, but in Arizona, uh, I'm not going to play the tape. It's 10 minutes long. But there's a guy in Arizona who is a rhino. He, but mm-hmm. we only, they always, he always presented himself as uh, a pro-Trumper. So in a private conversation with uh, Carrie Lake, which was being recorded, by the way, I don't know that she had a recorder on her or whether he had, there was an open mic somewhere, but apparently this guy took her aside and said, uh, you know, there are some very well-to-do people who would uh, pay just about anything for you to step away from politics for a couple of years. Don't really? support Trump. Yeah. And she said, God bless her. She said, she sounded incredulous. She, she, she said, you have to be kidding. He says, no, no, there are people who will pay whatever you need to step away from politics for a couple of years. He, he, she said to him something like, well, I thought you were with Trump. You said you were with Trump. He says, no, I've, I've gotten off that train. I'm with DeSantis. He says, uh, she says, this sounds, this sounds uh, criminal. This sounds corrupt. I don't I don't want to have anything to do with this. And apparently she started to walk away. And he made some comment, and I, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the exact comment, but he implied, like, if you don't uh, do the right thing, you may have a problem starting your car. Like, boom, you know. And, yeah, well, uh, I would believe that. So, um, you know, you look at a person like Carrie Lake and you wonder how legitimate she is, how serious she is. Uh, she is as real as a heart attack. She is uh, somebody who uh, I would be very happy if Trump were to pick her as the vice vice presidential candidate because I think she is rigid, rock solid, uh, somebody who can stand up to people like that and uh, and you know stand firm. Uh, and I don't know whether other people can do that. I, I look at other people. I mean, they talk about Vivek. I like Vivek. He does a good stump speech and stuff, but. You know, this guy was uh, part of the uh, opposition a couple of weeks ago. Tim Scott, they talk about him as being a possibility. He was pos- part of the problem, too, uh, three or four weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think that time will vet them as to where they are, and uh, that will determine when Trump gets into office um, whether they have a, a role to play. Bill, I have um, a bunch of stuff. Uh, I want to I play... Uh, 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 Mike Flynn was asked whether whether he would accept the vice presidency if it were offered to him. Listen, here's what he said. Oh, that's very nice of you. Very nice. Very nice. You got questions over here? <laughs> I, 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 right away, I looked at my wife. You know, she's giving, you know... Here's what I will tell you, because I have been there. That is, it is especially with my with the with the with my upbringing and my fiber. You know my the, the, you know the DNA that I feel and what I feel about this country. The, a, a question like that is a very very hard question to say no to. Okay, and I was asked that question: Would I consider it by Trump? In, in 2016, and I was one of four final candidates. Me, Chris Christie, Newt Gingrich, and Mike Pence. And of those, of those four, this will surprise many of you, maybe. But of those four, I was the only Democrat. <laughs> Uh, 
You know, it's, it's funny. He he says he, he was the only mm-hmm. Democrat. Uh, I grew up in the town next to uh, General Mike Flynn. I think he grew up in Middletown, Rhode Island. I grew up in Portsmouth. And um, so I know where he's coming from. It's a, it's a solid uh, Democratic area. Uh, so if he had been a Republican, it would have been a surprise with a name like Flynn, an Irishman from uh, that area of uh, New England. Uh, it, you know, it would have been uh, a, a big surprise. That being said, he's a solid American. He really is. And he, he's taken a lot of incoming fire from a lot of evil people in that community in D.C., and he's still standing. And uh, But that being said, I, I, I don't know whether uh, he's the right man for v- the pr- vice presidency. I think somebody in that position has got to be articulate and brave and strong, which he is, uh, but uh, the, he has some baggage, you know. He has some, you mm. know, the, he was uh, convicted, and I think he was pardoned by Trump. And so that that even though he may have done nothing wrong, and I don't think he did anything wrong, it's uh, the taint that they've thrown that's on him. That's exactly gonna... right, Bill. It's stain. It's yeah, stain. it's stain. And well, Trump's got a lot of stain, and uh, it's it's not, it's yeah. not legit for the most part. It's not legit. He's not been convicted of anything, you know. And you could sit there and go tit for tat and look at Joe. You could look at the Kennedys, and the the list goes on. The Clintons, you know, and uh, and uh, well. Clinton was, you know, found guilty. But the point is, is that, um, you know, they're throwing everything at him. Trump and- Trump was asked about the vice presidency. Listen. Who would be in the running for a vice president? Well, I can't tell you that, really. I mean, I know who it's going to be. Give us a hint. I'll give you. We'll do another show sometime. Well, what about any of the people who you've run against? Would you be open to mending fences with oh, any sure, of them? I will. I will. I've already started like Christy better. Uh, Christy for vice president? I don't don't see it. I don't see it. That would be an upset. Christy for vice president. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to announce. I do want to get to this other question. (laughs) No, I think Chris Christie, uh, I think he's, you know, he's, he's done. Put a fork in it. He sunk himself. Well, that's a well that beached himself without any help. (laughs) You know. He didn't need a windmill, Bill. No, he didn't need a windmill. You know, he just, he, he he hit the ground all by himself. But if I were Trump, I wouldn't announce he's doing so well without a VP. Yeah. A VP uh, pick right now could actually slow down his momentum. You know, uh, he's, it looks like he's going to bowl right through and get all the delegates. It's not that far after, after South Carolina, if Nikki doesn't, if she loses there and especially big, yeah, she's going to have to drop out. If she doesn't, she is, she is on a loser ship. Now, does you know, it she's, mean that she's behind in some polls by as much as 40% in her home state? Well, where she was governor. Don't be surprised if the Democrats don't come in to help her because if, anything they can do to derail the Trump train, but uh, they got to realize something. The Trump the Trump train don't need no track to uh, yeah. sail on down the road. They can bring in money and support it. I don't think they can cross over in South Carolina. And the thing about South Carolina, as opposed to other states, it's winner take all, meaning he, whether he wins by 1% or, or 50%, uh, if he wins South Carolina, he gets all of the delegates. He wins South Carolina. So, uh, Sarah, how many Huck- are there there? See, that's what I don't know. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was asked about whether she would be interested in the vice presidency, and she said this. And you'd be open to betting to be his vice president potentially? Look, I absolutely love the job I have. I think it's one of the best jobs okay. I could ever ask for, and I am honored to serve as governor, and I hope I get to do it for the next seven years. Well, that's next not a yes years. or no. All right. No, that's, that a, that's like- a political answer. That's yeah, a political that's, answer. Yeah, uh, Because uh, the news is saying, no, she doesn't want it. But what I heard there was, I'm happy where I am. And I'm not telling but, you how I really feel. <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. I mean... Yep. Um, it, it'll be interesting. I, I Again, have you got a preference, Bill? Who do you think would be a good vice presidential uh, choice? See, I don't know. I'm listening to different people. And, you know, there are women that say, well, even though it would be nice to have a woman in the White House, yeah. we got Kamala and see where that ended us. 
uh, and this, these are women saying they don't want a woman VP pick. So I, I don't know that, uh, that making a choice right now or making a statement right now is the wise move. I think Trump is doing the right thing. Sail on the way it is. It's going well. And then when the dust is settled, then everybody's at a calm. Then let's see who's there and may the best person win. And it doesn't need to be a pick of a woman or a man. And who that person will be, I don't know. I would say Carrie Lake has proven that she will stand by him. But in a lot of ways, uh, you know, she is a, a sheep of the same clothing, you know, or color in the fact that, you know, a she lot won't of things... attract anyone else. To, she won't. Att- she won't attract anyone new to the group. Is that what you're saying? She's basically the same as Trump. She is the same cut. I, I don't know that she brings anybody new. I don't know that she chases anybody away. But he already is a lightning rod from the left, mm-hmm. you know. And they throw things at him, and what he says gets mangled around. You know, now she was a news reporter and she's a very far, good one. In some ways, she's more articulate than he is. Uh, but they take her and do the same thing, and they have thrown her into the meat grinder, too. Yeah. And she's a lightning rod just like him. Do we want two lightning rods? Look what he, look what he did. There. Were you kind of surprised with the people who were the final four uh, in 2016? Chris Christie, you know, Mike Pence. Mike Pence, I can see. Because, you know, in, in 2015, 2016, uh, Trump knew nobody in Washington. And he w- he had to go with advisors' uh, suggestions. And people would say, well, Mike Pence is a good guy. He's a born-again Christian. Uh, he knows Washington, the ins and outs. He'll be a strong asset. Uh, and, of course, we've seen where that got him. You know, Trump made a lot of mistakes in the first uh, administration because he didn't know the people. You know, he says he knows them now, Mm. which I believe he uh, he has a good idea who's on his side. Um, Also, uh, I got a bunch of stuff. It's a busy morning, and I wanted to play today. You know, we, we haven't been talking at all about the Ukraine and what's happening over there because we've been... Talking about the border, which oh, by the way, before I forget, I think a it's lot the, of distractions. Yeah, in the news. I'm being distracted as as we speak. On oh. the third of February, fourth of February, and fifth, I believe, and I haven't got third, it. Fourth and fifth. All let, right. Let me see whether I got this right. I'm, I'm just going to check my little uh, my little uh, phone thingy and uh, make sure I got the the dates correct. But um, I I found this on uh, Laura Logan's site, and she said this is something to watch. On, uh, yeah, in Eagle Pass, Texas. Oh, I, I, I take this back. It's all going to be on the 3rd of February. In Eagle right. Pass, Texas, Tucson, Arizona, and San Diego, there is going to be a, quote, peaceful assembly on the southern border of uh, bikers, truck drivers, uh, law enforcement, Veterans, military, elected officials, business owners, ranchers, and freedom-loving Americans. There is a call to action. You know, I was wondering when this was going to happen. Well, apparently this is happening. Uh, uh, It's going to happen in Texas, at Eagle Pass, Texas, Tucson, Arizona, and San Diego. These are big entry points for illegals. Uh, You you get a few hundred uh, tractor-trailer trucks down there. Um... First of all, I, I I applaud them for their bravery, but I think that when you put yourself into a situation like this, you make yourself a, a prime target for troublemakers, i.e. January 6th. You know, you get right. down there with a, a bunch of strong, well-meaning Americans go down there to protest what's going on, and all of a sudden you get troublemakers down there who incite riots and uh, cartel members, things like that, who may... Uh, cause trouble. Uh, it's are you are you uh, saying that people are up to no good and yeah try to do I am. a little harm? I yeah, am, okay. Bill. Yeah, I am indeed. Just um, making sure I understood that. Yeah. You know, speaking of trucks, uh, but I thought, that, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. It, you, and I, you know, one thing is there's a subculture out there of people. You know, when you're asleep at nighttime, 
I know this is a fact because when I used to do mornings at one radio station I used to work at, I used to drive for like 50 minutes, 55 minutes to get to the station. And I would do it at 4 in the morning on a U.S. highway, I-70. And uh, it would be me and the truck drivers on our CB radios, and they'd be they'd be. Or you just on. dated yourself a CB radio in a car. Well, Bill, this is this was two thousand, so they but oh. they they still have them. By the way, I I, I have a I, I put I have a portable CB radio. You know, you stick an antenna on your roof and you I plug, have one of those. You plug it in and you you can listen to what's going on. Uh, and these guys they talk all night all around the country to each other. They also had their own radio stations that broadcast all over the country. And uh, right now, a lot of those are on on the internet and. Um, these truck drivers are well aware of this rally. This could be a much bigger rally than you can imagine. Um, you remember what happened in Canada uh, in uh, twenty was it twenty twenty two? I think it was. Uh, well, this is interesting. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is another expert in the art of political survival. Uh, any premier with less of a globalist pedigree and the uh, same dismal legacy would have been ousted a long time ago. Meaning, if you looked at his track record, you you got to wonder, how is this guy still uh, the prime minister of Canada? But lately, Trudeau seems to be the, in worse shape than you can imagine. Uh, the Canadian federal court has just delivered a long-awaited ruling uh, that certainly is not going to make uh, things any easier for Justin Trudeau. Apparently, they said uh, his use of the Emergency Act in Canada against the Canadian truck drivers during those uh, demonstrations. Do you remember the demonstrations at the, what's it called, the uh, 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 Liberty Bridge or whatever it is? There's a bridge that goes from Canada, I believe, into uh, yeah, Detroit. Yeah. Uh, that There was a big protest there, and, and uh, they've ended up arresting a lot of the truck drivers who were uh, parked in uh, uh, and and weren't moving and causing congestion. Um, anyway, the the federal government up in Canada said what you did was unreasonable and unconstitutional, Justin. Now I don't know whether he'll pay anything for it, but uh, it, it is a slap in the face. If essentially they said uh, you overstepped your uh, your boundaries there, Mister Trudeau, and uh, shame on you. So. Um, but anyway, I just thought I'd pass that along to you. You know, uh, we haven't talked about the Ukraine, and I figure we have about a half an hour uh, before the show is over. Uh, yesterday, uh, Lloyd Austin, our Secretary of Defense, you know, he he got out there and he said, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, I haven't seen uh, that there's been any misuse of any of our funding that we've sent to the Ukraine. Now, either he's just stupid or he's a blatant liar. I'll let him say it again. Here's what he said. The United States continues to work hard to monitor and account for U.S. security assistance delivered to Ukraine. And we've seen no credible evidence of the misuse or illicit diversion of American equipment provided to Ukraine. But what we do see is Ukraine using the capabilities that we provided to defend itself against Russian aggression. You know, it looked, by the way, when I saw the video of uh, Lloyd Austin, mm-hmm. it looked like he was still doing it from his uh, hotel, his hotel, his hospital room. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he put a coat on and he was... Uh, but I, I thought it was a good time to break out a, a tape that we have. This is... Uh, uh, this is... Uh, 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 C- Lieutenant, I guess it's Colonel uh, McGregor. Of, uh, uh, he's a guy, he's a, a genius. Doug, McGreg- right. Doug McGregor, I got so much going on right now. I'm I'm having a hard yeah, time. Yeah, the wheels. I can hear them turning yes. right now. Uh, so. Douglas McGregor is one of the smartest uh, analysts, I believe, military analysts uh, we have in our country. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't play politics. He really kind of tells it like it is. And he was talking with Tucker Carlson recently about where we are right now in the Ukraine and what's really going on, and. I know you don't hear this in mainstream media right now because they're they're moving on to so many other things, the Middle East. But while that's all going on, we are still we're still a hair away from a nuclear confrontation with Russia. Now people aren't talking about this. It's like, oh, everything's fine, just keep walking, nothing to see here. That's not the case. 
We are close. Anyway, here's Doug McGregor talking with Tucker Carlson. Listen. How would you assess and describe the state of the war in Ukraine right now? That's an important question, and not enough people have good answers at this point. I think all of the lies that have been told for more than a year and a half about the Ukrainians are winning, the Ukrainian cause is just, the Russians are evil, the Russians are incompetent, all of that is collapsing. And it's collapsing because what's happening on the battlefield is horrific. Ukrainians now, we think, have lost 400,000 men killed in battle. Uh, we were talking about 300, 350,000 a few months ago. Within the last month of this supposed counteroffensive, which was to sweep the battlefield, they lost at least 40,000 killed. We don't even know how many people have been wounded, but we know that probably upwards of 40 to 50,000 soldiers are amputees. We know the hospitals are full. And we know that Ukrainian units at the platoon and company level, that's with anywhere from 50 to 150 to 200 men, are in piecemeal fashion surrendering to the Russians. Not because they don't want to fight, it's because they can't fight anymore. They have so many wounded, they can't evacuate them. And commanders are saying, well, if I can't evacuate my wounded, I'm going to surrender because otherwise the wounded will die. And so they call the Russians, and they, they all speak Russian, and tell them on the radio, look, I, I've got 50, 60 wounded here. I'm going to surrender because I don't want them to be killed. And the Russians from the very beginning have always treated the Ukrainian soldiers very fairly and very gently. And so they know they're not going to be abused or mistreated. They know they can actually be exchanged for Russian prisoners in the future. So they've surrendered. And I think we're going to see this army that we've been spending so heavily on increasingly melt away. And at the same time as we're talking, if you look at this long banana-shaped strip of territory in southern Ukraine that the Russians control, if you go to the northeastern corner of that, south of this city called Kharkiv, there are major offensive operations taking place there right now. And the Ukrainian forces are being swept away in front of the Russians. And again, all of this, all of this happens in a way that is just not reported in the West. And in the meantime, rather than admit that this is a terrible tragedy that should be ended on humanitarian grounds, if no other, that the killing should stop, as President Trump said, stop the killing, we're going to continue. And this puts the Russians in the unhappy position of marching further west, because from the very beginning, Putin and his, his advisors were never interested in a war with NATO or the United States. That's what, why you've had such incrementalism, this slow grind of movement forward, defensive operations for a long period to build up the force, and then continued offensive operations. They have over 300,000 combat troops in reserve in Russia. And I think they're sitting there and not being released to fight because President Putin anticipates the possibility that we will intervene in Western Ukraine. And if we intervene in Western Ukraine, the Russians will be ready for that. And the consequences for us and for NATO will be devastating because we are not ready to fight the Russians. Why? Oh, I think the readiness has been on the decline for a long time. You've had a, an almost steady, uninterrupted decline in the discipline that makes soldiers fight. Discipline is a tough thing. We, we don't always understand it. Discipline is really a form of habit. And you build those habits over time through repetition, but you also build it under stress, under pressure, so that it sinks in. And then you build cohesion within the framework of those units. You don't build cohesion when you're dividing the force on racial grounds, when you're pushing people who are clearly unqualified up the ranks to command, when you're rewarding people for anything other than demonstrated character, competence, and intelligence. All of those things are demoralizing, destructive to military establishments. The Army and the Marines are suffering with it. So is the Air Force and the Navy. And there's no easy fix. And these cracks that are just cracks at the moment will become giant fissures if you go to war. So you spent your the bulk of your adult life as an Army officer, went to West Point, um, commanded troops in battle. You're a combat veteran, decorated. Um, but you entered the Army right at the tail end of Vietnam. That's right. When it was famously at its at its neighbor. Uh, yes. How would you compare the readiness of the current U.S. armed forces to, say, 1975 at the end of Vietnam? 
I think that in terms of morale and discipline, we are close to where we were in the late 70s. Uh, we have a lot of people that uh, are confused about what needs to be done. We've lost a sense of what's right. In other words, you, you don't have people that have served long enough in formations to know what right looks like so that you can see a battle group, whether it's a battalion size or brigade or, or larger, and you know what makes things work. You know what it takes to fight in battle. We don't have very many people like that because since 2001, most of the fighting has been on a very small scale against a fleeting enemy. You know, running around in sandals with an AK-47, relying heavily on explosives, mines, to kill and maim Americans, about 87% of our losses were really a result of explosives that came from mines. This is not an army that is accustomed to fighting anybody who can fight back. If I were gonna compare it to an army, a better comparison would probably be the French army before the Franco-Prussian War, because the French had fought Mexican bandits, Mexican rebels, they'd fought Arab bandits, Arab insurgents, They'd had a little experience fighting disgruntled, demoralized European troops, Austrians in Northern Italy, but they hadn't faced a truly modern enemy. But people were convinced that the French army was the greatest army in the world because they'd fought in North Africa, in Indochina, Mexico, all over the world. That war was a catastrophe for France and that army was decimated in months by a Prussian army that was a modern force, highly disciplined, very competently led, trained and equipped. You know, you hear a guy like him talk and you ask yourself, why wasn't he a general? And it was because he's not political. He just uh, he just lays it out there, Bill. Yeah, I mean, he makes sense, and uh, but that's why he's not uh, a general, <laughs> yeah. because he does make sense. He's Like you said, he's not political, and he's not towing the uh, political line. Yeah. Uh, he, he's, uh, you know, he says a lot of things, like he said, we've been fighting wa wars that are... Uh, more like police actions, if you if you want, you know, we've been fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq, you know, going house to house, searching for the guys in turbans and sandals, and not yeah. armies, you know. Yeah, I mean, we're not we're not. You know, I, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say though, you know, we're worried about uh, you know uh, the nuclear war. I don't know that it's going to come from Russia or the Ukraine. I think we got. Uh, I mean. There will be something from there, but I, I think the nuclear action is going to come from somewhere like Iran, you know. Yeah, and I also think, Bill, this is a, I know this is scary. This goes back to that illegal that came into our country. We played the audio yesterday where he kind of, uh, in a uh, braggadocious way, uh, uh, he well, was letting us know that uh, you don't know my name now, but you will soon. Well, think about it now. You know, if, if somebody launches a nuke, we're going to detect it. And chances are, take it down before it ever hits here. But what if the nuke is already here, That's it. being carried around in a suitcase or something like that? And with the way things are today, you're going, yeah, well, that wouldn't be a big nuke. doesn't matter what size it is. Fact is, it's a nuke, and it's going to do some harm. But who who's to say that somebody of skill good math and, and everything, because, you know, I can make a nuke in a suitcase that can take out uh, an entire city or Manhattan. Even scarier, what, is this, what if it's several nukes? What if it's a coordinated attack, you know, to take out a city in the northwest, the southwest, cent you know, midwest, uh, on the east coast, and they all happen roughly the same time? Would that oh, put us back on our heel? Well, one will do it, but if you had several well-placed ones, let's just say New York, uh, Chicago, um, we'll still say L.A., San Francisco, uh, where else? Uh, you know, five of them, five or six, would cripple this country. No, now, we do have a military machine that goes on, but financially, if you take out our hubs, hey, even I, one of them, we're... we're you We're talk about you talk about a smart guy, you know, uh, making one of those things. What if they were made somewhere else and they were smuggled across the border? I mean, for every illegal that was stopped, there were hundreds of people who got through. They called them what do they call them? Uh, unstoppables or un unreachables or whatever. They had a term for it because there were people who got through 
uh, with nobody knowing who they were. Uh, you know, they also say it was, well, you know, the good thing about this situation in the Ukraine is we're replacing our older equipment with brand new equipment, brand new stuff in the U.S. We're giving them our old tanks and we're building new tanks for That's us. That's what Russia's been saying. We're sending them our junk. But, you know, but, but McGregor, McGregor has something to say about this. Listen to what he says, Bill. It's, it was kind of a surprise. We have equipment that is decades old. The, the tanks that I served on, for instance, when I went to war in 1990, were virtually brand new, state-of-the-art. Those tanks are still out there. They've been rebuilt, but they're not new anymore. They're no longer as capable as they once were. You know, I'll give you a quick example. We have a turbine engine in the M1, A1 series tanks, and that turbine engine burns up as much fuel sitting still as it does moving. Because it's a turbine engine, it was designed to be used on an aircraft. We put them in the tanks. So that means you've got an eight-hour tank. Every eight hours, if you're operating, you've got to refuel this thing. This thing also burns fuel at a very, very high temperature, over 1,000 degrees. And there are 40-plus connections around the engine that are very brittle that can easily cause fires. If the accidentally they touch these little tubes that carry various types of fluid, if they actually touch this engine that's burning so hot. So the engine is so hot that you can track the movement of U.S. Army ground forces with tanks <clears throat> from low Earth orbiting satellites. So if you think you're going to hide or conceal yourself or outpace somebody, you're just a glowing target from space. To this must be added the ridiculousness of not having replaced that engine with a reliable state-of-the-art diesel-electric engine, which is much cooler, which can go for 24 hours or more without a refuel. And these things are extremely problematic when you go to war because you have to pull forces back, refuel them, return them to the front. That's not easy to do when you're operating as frequently as every eight or six or nine hours. They say, well, we put it all, I guess, a, a generator on there to make up for this when you're sitting still. The problem is that you don't sit still for very long in combat because if you do, you're going to be targeted and destroyed. And that, of course, is what we're seeing in Ukraine. Persistent surveillance from space, from overhead surveillance, makes everything visible all the time. So if you're going to embed yourself in the ground, if you're going to set up a permanent position there where you try to fire from that, you're going to be targeted and destroyed very, very quickly. So that's why this defense right now looks a lot like World War One, because anybody who moves is identified and killed. The only limitation on your ability to target and destroy the enemy is ammunition. The Russians, of course, have no shortages whatsoever. You recall at the beginning of this, we have all these shortages, right? The Russians can't keep up with missiles. The Russians can't keep up with shells. Well, they have multiple manufacturing facilities operating seven days a week at 24 hours a day. We have no surge capacity in the United States. It would take us many, many months to come up to that kind of standard where we could actually compete in high high-end conventional warfare. And that's why people like me and others worry that if we get into a confrontation, that we cannot win because the world has changed, warfare has changed, integrated air defenses will knock virtually everything that flies out of the sky, that we will then fall back on a nuclear deterrent, a tactical nuclear weapon that says, if you keep advancing, we'll have to use a nuclear weapon. We don't want to go there. Because the notion that there are so-called tactical nukes, you've heard that expression? Yes. Oh, that's just a little nuke. So that won't precipitate a major war. The use of any nuclear weapon is going to precipitate escalation very rapidly. Because your opponents will assume that if they don't use their nuclear weapons, they're going to lose them. So we're living in a terrible dilemma right now. The smartest thing that we can do is end this war. You hear that, folks? I mean, uh, mm. what you just said, Bill, about nuclear weapons and stuff like that, I mean, uh, even the smallest nuke is going to start a chain reaction. Only takes one to do it, but you got to wonder, you know, who who wins in this war? Because we're talking about, uh, you know, we're, we're sending equipment over there that's going to be targeted and blown up and stuff like that. And, you know, why are we in this... Who is winning out of this? Who's 
Somebody's making money somewhere, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, when you hear Lloyd Austin saying, I don't see any sign of any of the money going anywhere uh, bad. Uh, I don't see any problem uh, with uh, who's getting the money. And I mean, I think he's uh, either a liar or he's not paying attention. You know, I, I mean, he's trying to sell this to the American people. And all you have to do is sit down and do a little research and you'll see that uh, that the Ukraine is one of the most corrupt countries in the in the world. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I mean, they say it's more corrupt than Mexico, and what Mexico is run by cartels. Uh, so, this guy uh, Zelensky, he's a puppet. There's a lot of people pulling his strings for a lot of money. I told you uh, early on during this conflict, uh, they stopped a woman who was leaving the Ukraine. Uh, she had a suitcase, not not oh, a briefcase, yeah. suitcase full of money. Yeah, I mean they they opened up the suitcase. She was a, by the way, she was the wife of a Ukrainian leader. She was leaving the country with a suitcase of neatly stacked American money, you know, and that you know where that came from. That came from uh, you and me and uh, and everybody else in this country. You know, they, we're so eager to give them money to help their quote cause. Uh, we're not doing our vetting. Yeah. But anyway, you got to wonder if we're giving away all this money, does money really mean anything? Or is it, uh, uh, you know, right now it means something, but maybe well, not. I'll the, tell you, it in, means something to you and me. And that's the big, that's the big problem. Well, it, yeah, it doesn't it does. mean, that, it doesn't mean a damn thing to the people I think in, in Washington because they can print it, they can steal it. They get, it's just well, it's easy. And that's my point. They can print it. I mean, at some point in time, it's, it's Zimbabwe money, you know. Oh, I got a $15 million bill. Well, how much is the paper worth? Oh, I don't know, about 20 cents. You know, minus, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. My, you know, point zero 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 three cents. Well, that's what you got in your hand there, you know. Uh, McGregor, also, McGregor also was asked, uh, what's Russia's objective? Listen. What is Russia's objective, do you believe? Uh, assuming the objectives change over the course of war. Of course. Right? Uh, well, the original objective, obviously, was very different. I mean, if, if they'd made peace with the Russians back in, uh, let's say, March or April, I think the Russians would have retained very little territory, probably only Luhansk and Donetsk, the two so-called breakaway provinces. And I think there would have been guarantees of neutrality for Ukraine and guarantees of equal rights before the law for Russians. And that's what people don't understand. Most of this has to do with abuse meted out to Russians in Ukraine by the Ukrainian government. And this, of course, is this radical nationalist government that came to power in Kiev in 2014. And they almost immediately, as soon as that government came into power, they started launching a war against the so-called breakaway provinces. And Putin kept trying and trying and trying. The Minsk Accords were another good example, trying to get to a solution that would not involve confrontation. Now we know, of course, thanks to Angela Merkel, the German chancellor, that the Minsk Accords were just a ruse, a way to... Uh, kill time and give the Ukrainians more time to build up their forces. To build up their forces for what? And it's pretty clear they were building up for an offensive against Russia. And of course, the next step was that we bring in our missiles and station them in eastern Ukraine, which puts them in a couple of minutes away from all of Russia's cities and all of Russia's nuclear deterrent. So this was unacceptable. So that original deal is gone now. And the question is, what will the Russians accept? Well, they'll, I think they're going to demand that whatever remains of Ukraine, rump Ukraine is what most people are calling it now, most of what's probably west of the Dnieper River has to be neutral. It can't be part of NATO. We will, the Russians will never tolerate NATO forces on Ukrainian soil because we've demonstrated conclusively that we are fundamentally hostile to Russia. So that's the minimal requirement. How that's governed, that's that's another question. Who knows? I'm sure Moscow would want to have some say in that government and who is there to ensure that behind the scenes they are not once again subjected to the treatment that we subjected to them, uh, them to in the Minsk Accords. And, you know, uh, if I have my facts right, um, I believe there are now nuclear missiles stationed in Belarus. And I believe the Belarusians have authority to use them as they they see fit. So uh, you know we're we're in a very awkward situation. We have a guy who can't finish his sentence 
uh, flying our ship and making these life or death uh, decisions. You already seen what's what he's done with the border, folks. I mean, the fact of the matter is, there are terrorists in this country, and they're not here to vacation. They're here to do us harm, and they're going to do it because they haven't been slowed down or stopped. It's going to happen, folks. I hate to say it. Uh, I I pray to God that uh, Trump is in office uh, before they can get their plans implemented, because I think he will have a plan in place to to counter what they do. But I think Biden has nothing. Nothing. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear you, my friend. You have your mic off. Well, but, let's try again. I was going to say that. I saw you election, moving. Your, I saw you moving your lips, you and it looked very interesting. Else, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's why this election is important. You know, I'm sitting there going, "You got Biden. Let's say that he wins by a landslide again, which you know, if uh, the Democrats have have anything to say with it, they he will. Just like kind of the New Hampshire thing, I think was proof that some shenanigans went on. I'd love to see the final tally of how it all breaks out, but. If he goes along, you know, or comes, stays into power, you know, not only do we have what we got now, but it continues. Nikki Haley on the Republican side, she is all for this too. She is part of that yeah. industrial complex, and she's all for the war thing too. Trump is the only one that wants to get out of it. Now, I do wholly believe that no matter what, we're going to get into some kind of you know, conflict, something is going to happen because the stage has already been set. Yeah. The the wheels are in motion. Uh, Trump is going to have to fix it. So when he comes in, but he's only got four years, can't be done in four years. So his partner is going to be very important. Or yeah. four years from now, we're going to be headed down into this rabbit hole again. And so it's very important to vote and make the right decision and not get tied up in all the minutia and all the crap that's being thrown out there. Really step back, take a look at what's going on, and say, well, I got to vote for what's right. Forget about all this crap that they're throwing, because that's all it is. It's just minutia to taint your opinion of a man that they don't want in the office because he's going to unravel their little plan you know, for, uh, uh, for Doug, you and me. Doug McGregor was asked, uh, what do you think uh, the Ukraine's objective is? Listen. What is the Ukrainian objective? Uh, I think more and more Ukrainians just want to survive this. And that's becoming very hard. And Zelensky and the radicals around him are basically committed to fighting this war to the last Ukrainian. And, of course, I'm sure that Mr. Zelensky and his friends are anxious at some point to retire to their estates in Florida or Venice uh, or Cyprus to collect on the billions that they've managed to steal or siphon from all the aid that we've provided. Remember, Ukraine is probably one of the most corrupt places in the world. A friend of mine who had, had spent time in the old Soviet Union and also lived in Mexico came back from a visit to Mexico and he said, it's hard to believe this, but Ukraine is more corrupt than Mexico. Wow. And I, I think that's true. So. This is, a, this is a world-class disaster. 14 million Ukrainians have left the, uh, left the nation, presumably never to return, because when they're asked in Germany or France or Croatia or Spain or wherever they go, we will never go back. So what are you going to do with this country? And then, of course, we have the usual suspects, the great agricultural business conglomerates, along with BlackRock, who have their eyes on the fertile Ukraine ground in western Ukraine. I suppose there'll be a big effort to get control of that in some fashion. That may not work, though, once this war ends with a complete and utter defeat of the Ukrainian regime. But what did Biden's Secretary of Defense just say? He said, uh, as a matter of fact, that uh, nothing to see here, just keep walking along. The United States continues to work hard to monitor and account for U.S. security assistance delivered to Ukraine. And we've seen no credible evidence of the misuse or illicit diversion of American equipment provided to Ukraine. But what we do see is Ukraine using the capabilities that we provided to defend itself against Russian aggression. I'm sorry. To, to me, that's, that's a blatant lie. 
Well, know. it is, but you know, he looks, he looks distinguished, yeah. looks professional, and he's got that big voice. That yes, he trust. does. Yeah. You know, there's somebody once said, "Don't trust guys with big voices," and here I am, you know, <laughs> one, but, and you too. But the point is, you know, if you want to sit there and sell something. You bring in that well-spoken, polished voice. Yes. And you go, well, it must be true. I mean, because he said so. That's true. Um, <laughs> but it, it, you look at Zelensky, you know, uh, point of observation. When you see him, he's a poser. You know, the, they want to make you think that he is a, a war hero and, you know, he's taken up to arms. A comedian takes up arms and becomes his great fighter. And he's got a nice pair of pressed, you know, uh, military khakis and the shirt and, you know, looks good. You never see him in action or in battle. Oh, no. You never see him with tattered clothes or dirty because he's no. out there in the trenches fighting. He's a poser. If, yeah, he is a poser. You'll see things going off in the background. Is my shirt pressed? All right, turn on the camera. Yeah, you know that's true. Oh, I need money. I need money. There, there. Look, we're getting the hell blown out of us. Yeah, you look pretty good there, Zelensky, and your hair's combed, well coiffed, and yeah, and your shirts pressed, your pants are—they're clean. I, I didn't even know you could find a, a washing machine in a town <laughs> that just got blown to hell. You know, you know, you we did. don't we don't know whether he's in, in the Ukraine. For all we know, he could be uh, doing that from his mansion in Miami. And yes, in a he green does. room, yeah, you know. Uh, well, I'll tell you, we're taking a hell of a beating here. Yes. You know, hey, would you hold over, my margarita? You know, yes. Hold my margarita here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, give me a cocktail. Those look good. One other thing yeah. that we didn't talk about, uh, and we can do it tomorrow. You know, the Supreme Court had that ruling, that that ridiculous ruling about Texas uh, can't do the barbed wire. Uh, well, you know how Texas responded. The Texas National Guard on Tuesday responded to the Supreme Court's order allowing the Biden regime to cut and remove razor wire installed along the southern border. They responded by installing more razor wire. Way you go, Texas. And Texas, the people there are saying, screw you, Supreme Court. Screw the government. They're saying, time to succeed. And we said that before. And now the population is going to Twitter and everything going, Get the hell out of this country. We're, we're, we could be our own country, and hopefully be that doesn't catch a, a, any traction because uh, um, you would hate to see that kind of division in our country. What we do need is we do need. I think what they're doing right now, as a matter of fact, is the right thing. Look at all Texas. Just keep ignoring the Supreme Court ruling, and and let them decide how they're going to treat Texas. Are they going to go down with uh, 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 with troops and? And do battle with Texans? I don't think so, especially during an election year. I would just uh, keep putting it off and saying we don't uh, acknowledge that ruling as being a just ruling because it violates our our charter as a state and, you know, whatever. I'm sure they can come up with some answer, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and, you know, they've been talking about it, and I guess there's a big bill afoot now for uh, D.C. to uh, get statehood, you know, which is all Democrats. That's what we need is a Democrat state uh, to emerge out of nowhere. Yeah, you don't need the swamp as another state. You really well, don't. Well, maybe we ought to move the capital to Texas. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, on the border. Wouldn't that be something? Where All those, le- all those uh, congressmen and senators, they, they would have to drive to the border to go to work. I like that, Bill. That is a certain yeah, je ne sais quoi, well, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll put you right on the river <laughs> overlooking a nice, you know, Eagle river Pass and... has a nice ring to it, yes. Yeah, Eagle yeah. Pass. Yeah, pass right on through. Get your ass over on the other side. Uh, that's where you belong. Hey, listen, uh, if you want to contact us, our number is 833-538-7868, 833-538-7868. Uh, Jim and Bill at mail.com, Jim and Bill at mail.com. You can also find us on, uh, well, you, you'll find us on Facebook. You can look for It's Another Day. Uh, you can look for us on, uh, well, it used to be Twitter, the X. It's another day at It's Another Day. Which so is good. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. But you got to share us, too. Let people yeah. know about us. Pass the word. We would appreciate that. Um, we're not saying pass the plate. I said pass the word. Yes. Uh, we may get to a point where we're passing a plate, but we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah, when you when you see me on a, on a corner with a bullhorn and yes. a plate, yeah, and you yeah, drop yeah. in a few coins. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Other than that, um, and uh, when, I, when I'm there with the plate and the bullhorn yes. and I see the cops coming, yes. you're going to hear me going, hasta la vista, baby, we're out of here.
This is CRN America. These days, when you want an answer about just about anything, you ask Alexa. You ask her about the weather. You ask her who won your favorite sporting event. You ask her to find a fact that you can't find anywhere. Well, we did that too. We asked her how many people have downloaded itsanotherday.com. And this is what she said. From acceleration.com. It has been downloaded as much as 260,433,467 times. I know. Seems like a lot. Seems like a lot to us, too. But it's Alexa. Thanks for making us a part of your day. And tell your friends about itsanotherday.com. We could use an extra listener. I mean, what do you do when you only have 260 million?